Made for more living. One small step for man. With Johnny Jennings. Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. The fastest and most exciting hour of news, events, and real estate in Northern California. And this is a fact that was proved. Powered by EXP Realty. Online at madeformoreliving.com. Does everybody know what time it is? Get ready. Here we go. The Oakland A's are coming to Sacramento, or are they? And then I was at, um, so I was at, this is Johnny Jennings, and I was at Lake Tahoe this last weekend with Valerie, my, my lovely wife, and she is about to give birth to baby number two. So baby number two, baby Ben is on the way, and so we wanted to just have like one last weekend before the chaos hits. And we were at a restaurant, and the restaurant was the Charter House. Have you ever been to the Charter House, Barry? I have. You know, that's a great place. It's a great place. And I asked my dad that question. I was like, Pops, have you been to the Charter House? And he's like, yeah, I've been. I was like, have you been recently? He's like, that's such an underrated, like an over overused term, recently. It's like, how long ago was it, Pops? It's like 35 years ago. I was like, okay, oh it's been a minute. You need to go back. But anyways, we were, Val and I were sitting there at the Charter House, and we, were, we heard this, this, um, these two dudes talking, and they were talking about potentially the Oakland A's coming to Sacramento. And they were thinking... Man, is that a good idea or is that a bad idea? Is that a good investment or is that a bad investment? Because will will people show up? Will they be able to fill the stadiums and stuff if they do build a new stadium or, or bring the Oakland A's? What are your thoughts, Barry? Well, I think it, it's all perspective, right? It's who's asking the question, who's answering the question, right? Yeah. So if you're talking to the owners of the River Cats, it's a great idea, That's right? So true. They are obviously overjoyed with the prospect of having a major uh, team come to town and rent their facilities and really pay them big dividends. I think that's a great example. The show's mostly about real estate, but I think that's a great example how you never know if you own the land. What's the saying? You build it, they'll come. If you build it, they'll come. Feel yeah. the dreams, yeah. So I think that that's a great idea from the River Cats perspective. How it works out for the Oakland A's, I don't know. But it gets them out of Oakland. Do you well, think- they're doing it mainly for the TV rights. If they lose the TV rights, they lose $70 million a year. So that's the strategy is they just want to maintain those TV rights because Sacramento's still generally in the broadcast area. Who Who's there. they for the TV rights? The Oakland A's. The owners. The, the A's, owners yeah. of the team. Oh. They need to maintain those TV rights. So they want to stay in the vicinity. So they could probably move to Vegas and, and rent out some dinky little ball field, but they need to stay in the area in order to keep those well, I don't, millions I mean, of dollars. I, I, I remember spending the night in Oakland in front of the Navy base because I couldn't get on base yet because my truck wasn't licensed for the base. Mm-hmm. All my earthly possessions in the back of the pickup truck. And I'm telling you, that was one sleepless night. <laughs> so oh, my gosh. If I have to choose Oakland for Sacramento, I'm coming to Sacramento every well, day of the week. Well, it's sad because the Warriors left, right? The f- oh, yeah. And uh, who else left? The Raiders, Raiders. left. And so they're going to be without a sports who, team. Who else? Uh, just some little team. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, Speaking of my dad, that's his favorite football team. Oh, is so, it? Yeah. The Raiders? Yeah. Well, what was the quarterback there for a while? Derek Carr? Yeah. yeah. Derek I Carr. So. so Derek Carr went to Bakersfield, and uh, that's where Valerie's from, is from Bakersfield. Went to the same high school, and I guess they call it like Derek Carr Stadium or something like that. Like he's a he's a celebrity down in... But it's interesting how up in value the Raiders franchise oh, yeah. has become just moving from Oakland to Vegas. That's true. You know? That's true. So, so what will become of the Oakland A's? You know, they're not worth a whole lot compared to the other teams in baseball. What's going to happen when they move to Vegas? Not as much you as know? if they move to Sacramento. If right. they move That's to Sacramento, to they'll stay true and blue. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. But speaking of speaking of investments, we have um, Barry Mathis with us today. He is a real estate broker extraordinaire, and he actually runs a property management company. Barry, you mind giving us like two seconds on on your bio? Uh, you know, I've been doing real estate in the local area for about 22 years. Um, I hang a license with EXP for sales, and then I started my own property management company. This is actually the second property management company I've started, and uh, man, I really enjoy investment real estate. I enjoy working with people, especially first-time investors and helping them make that that switch. And so I think um, that's kind of my story is now we manage about 200 properties. So wow. we're, we're big enough to be to get the job done and small enough to care whether we get it done. And this is your second time around. It is. You know, I, I tell everybody, I actually learned more shutting down the last company and selling it than I did uh, running it. 
Um, it's amazing how when you go to sell something, all the pieces come to play and the things that you might have been missing, you learned about, but from who the people that are trying to buy it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the things that maybe you would do differently the next time you learn as well. So actually looking backwards now, um, I didn't want to sell it when I sold it, but when I sold it, I made good money on it. And uh, I, looking backwards now, it's probably the best thing I ever did is because I learned more about the business selling it than I did really running it. That's interesting. So like Valerie, when we got started in real estate, we were in a little town in the middle of nowhere. And we had some, some, we were self-managing our, our properties and we realized, Hey, there's not really like a good solution to that in this community. And so why don't we start our own? And so our broker was kind enough to let us, let us start that. And I think Valerie got it up to almost 50 doors right. in her first year, but it was, this was like a, not, not like a Beverly Hills or a Granite Bay type of a community. It was, it was very, very poor. And so Valerie swore she would never go back because she remembers walking into, um, into door, into, into, into units. And she walks in and then all of a sudden, like the just cockroaches just falling like oh, rain no. on her, wow. you know? And so it was just like nasty. And she's like, I am never, never doing this again. And it's just funny to hear her perspective and then here you go. Yeah, I'm going to do this again. And I'm going to grow it to 200 doors in a year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, your wife is amazing. So, um, that, that's just all I got to say. She handles everything <laughs> with such grace and, um, a plum. Like you can never tell that she's bothered even when she's bothered. At least I can't. I'm sure you can. Oh, I can. Yeah, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I, yeah. It is painfully obvious to me. <laughs> painfully obvious. Yep. But speaking of property management, we get this question all the time from people who are looking to buy an investment property. They're like, should I self-manage or should I use a property manager? Now, obviously, you, you have a bias on this, but what are some pros and cons of each of those? Well, I would say um, you might be surprised by my answer because anyone can do what I do. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is I'm not them. What so do you mean by that? What I mean by that is you ever go to buy a car and you wind up negotiating with the mystery manager in the back of the shop? Yep. Well, that's that's the same thing here. People treat the relationship between landlord and tenant differently if I'm involved. Hmm. And it's not that I'm so much smarter, although what I learned doing two or 300 doors in a year might be carried over to protect you as well, right? Yeah. So it's, I might know more because I do more, right? However, the biggest thing is I'm not you. And so they always, if, if the tenants can get to the landlord, then they always have this thought where I can, I can influence his decision making. I can tell him I'll be a little late this month. I can tell him that I need to fix this. I can play on his, on his strengths or weaknesses as I wish, right? And so um, some tenants will wind up playing the owner and when people get me involved in the conversation, they realize that those games are over, yep. right? So they know that I'm going to do it by the book, not because I'm so much better, but because it's my job to do it by the book, yep. right? So my job says I need to do this, 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 and this. I'm not going to be upset about it. I'm just going to do it, you know? Yeah. Within reason, we do have some mercy, and we do go to owners with certain requests that we feel are reasonable, but... For the most part, you're not getting away with changing the owner's mind on what they should be doing. It's that degree of separation. It is. Like right now, I'm going through a, a um, like I started about a year ago with this company. And so right now, I have a lot of uh, renewals going on. And the owners, in many cases, would not raise rents, right? But when they have a manager giving them advice, I'm looking up what the rents have done. I'm pulling a rent comp for them and telling them, hey, this is, you might not want to raise rents, but you're under market. Right. And so you need to come up to market in order to. So we might not raise it as much as we could, but we might raise it like 5%. You, you hit on, a, on an interesting topic too, like raising rents. Like what has recent laws and stuff in Sacramento specifically, like how has that impacted your business in terms of rent control? You know, it had, as, as I think your, I don't know what your reader, your listenership is, but I'm fairly conservative. And I think you're going to find that. Um, most laws enacted by government sometimes have unintended consequences. And uh, this particular law, we're referring to AB 1482, the TPA, uh, came in and set limits on rent, uh, which is basically a form of rent control. And invariably, wherever rent control happens, it fails. Or it has the opposite effect. And in this case, that's what it did. It had the opposite effect. So right now, I believe that the rent is 9.2% based on a combination of the 5% over the GCI for the local region. And what happens is, is every owner wants to raise it 9.2%. 
Whereas That's the without, max you can limit. You can right. Raise they want to yeah. raise it to the max. And without that being there, uh, they probably wouldn't have raised it to the mm-hmm. max. So in reality, we've now had several years of owners saying, I don't know what the government's going to do next. Mm-hmm. So I need to raise this as much as I can every time I can. And so instead of rents just slowly creeping up, we've seen rents go across the board almost to the max allowable every time it comes up for renewal. So it, this law, I understand why they got the law. I understand they're wanting to you know, protect people and let them live in certain areas and the area they grew up in without rent taking over. I get that and I have sympathy for that. But I think that uh, some of the people designing the laws might should look at that and see What's been the actual effect? Now that this law has been in a, been around for a little while, mm-hmm. what happened to rent increases? Did they go up as they did before, or did they basically get supercharged? And I think that's what happened. Rents have gone up an incredible amount. I'm in this business every day, and I am shocked sometimes at how much we can get for rent. And so you think rent control is what caused the increase in rents. You don't think the market caused the increase in rents? I think that the, that the presence of rent control guaranteed the increase in rents. Yeah. Yeah. Guaranteed it. As of right now, you should be seeing some pullback on rents. Uh, But in reality, uh, those owners are still being able to climb up as much as they're allowed to do. And until the demand catches up with that supply, then you're going to continue to see those increases go up as high as they can go. Because that's essentially, I mean, for the the renter, it's their home. For the landlord, it's their investment. And so they're wanting to maximize and hedge against potential downsides and downturns in the market, right? Yes. And and what we're seeing in some cases, they're dividing the laws up to where it affects the big corporations, but does it affect the small mom and pop investor? And in those cases, that makes sense, I think, um, to some degree, although you're seeing in New York City right now where it's completely backfired, where property values are lowering and lowering and lowering. Part of that is due to the interest rate increase, but the other part is they can't get out of their big apartment buildings the returns that they should be able to get because they can't raise rents. Mm. And it's actually, if you look at the New York market, it's just a terrible thing that's going on. You're seeing uh, billions of dollars worth of value evaporate because those apartment owners are not able to raise the rents to market rates. Wow. Wow. Well, hey, when we come back, we'll be talking with Barry Mathis about five different returns on investment that you can have when you own an investment property. Yeah. So if you're thinking about putting your home on the market and you're wondering who's the best in Northern California, who's the best in this area, who has the most five-star Google reviews, who's getting multiple offers for their clients, who's getting cash offers, who's moving the fastest, who's going to get me the most for my property. It's none other than our friend Johnny Jennings with Made for More Living. You can find him online at madethenumber4living.com. Madethenumber4living.com. You can trust him. He's a great guy. And hey, if you're a realtor, uh, whether you're experienced or or new to the industry, they'd love to have you on their team. Reach out again at madeformoreliving.com. Made the number four living.com. This is Made for More Living with Johnny Jennings, powered by EXP Realty. Online at madeformoreliving.com. 22 years. That is how long this meeting has been taking place. Every single Thursday, it's a realtor meeting started by Brent Gove. And in 22 years, Probably the best presentation we have ever heard is something that you're about to hear right now. It's the five different ways you can increase your return on investment, and it's taught by Barry Mathis. Barry, what are the five ways? Oh, before I even get started, that kind of introduction is crazy. I've been at many of those meetings, and many of them were much better than anything I could ever come up with. We'll see. We'll see. We'll let the people All decide. Right. So we're going to run through these. I know we were, we're on a clock here. Um, cash flow is one of the major returns on investment. And in California, a lot of people look at cash flow and they say, oh, well, that's not very much. And um, yes, that's true. Uh, Cash flow is tough to find in California. You have to really work at it. Um, But it is only one of five different returns on investment. And I'm gonna gonna give away the, the last one real quick, and that's appreciation. Appreciation is also a return on investment. And so what do I mean by that? You know, if you spend $100,000 to buy a $500,000 building, uh, you put down $100,000, yep. 
then you realize that $500,000 building is going to appreciate at 4% a year. Let's just say, be conservative, 4% a year. So what is 4% of $500,000? 20 grand. So 20 grand. So now you've got your $100,000 that you put down in order to get 20 grand worth of equity. So 20 divided by 100 is what? 20%. So you made a 20% return not dealing with cash flow, not dealing with equity, not dealing with interest, not dealing with depreciation, only with an assumed conservative appreciation. Now, if you have cash flow on top of that, you have some rent coming in. If you look at the duplex index, which is a which is an index that I created here in Rose in Sacramento area, we look at all the duplexes that sold in the last quarter and we figure out how much rent were they generating versus how much they sold for. And we apply an assumed expense factor to them that's fairly common across 100 duplexes. And we find that currently that duplex ratio, duplex index is at 4.5%, what we call a cap rate, a 4.5% cap rate. That translates into that cash flow number, right? So you've got 20% coming from appreciation and 4.5% coming from that cash flow. And these are the typically the two big ones people think about. The thing about cash flow the thing about appreciation, but there's there's three more, right? There are there are three mores, and they're not complicated. They're not huge, but they definitely add value. Um, so number one, who's paying down your principal balance? The tenant. The tenant is right. So that equity pay down equals a return on investment. So in the beginning, you're going to have about 22% going towards principal on a mortgage. So after your $400,000 loan, 22% of that payment's going towards a principal and about 68% of that is interest. And so that 22% is being paid down every year by your tenants. And so we're not going to do the math on the air. I've done math on the air a whole lot, but basically you take whatever that 22% equity pay down is, divide it by that original $100,000 that you use to get your down payment. And that's going to give you what that return on investment is from the equity pay down. And this is on top of the cash flow. On top of the cash flow and on top of the appreciation. So most likely we're probably somewhere around a 30% um, return on investment now when we add just those three up. On the other side of it, most investors are allowed to deduct the interest. Meaning, when I say allowed, I mean that they have enough income coming in, both from this property and from other properties, or from other sources of income, that they're able to deduct the interest payment. And depending on what your tax bracket is, in California, your tax bracket could range anywhere from 20 all the way up to nearly 40%. So depending on what that tax bracket is, you're going to take that interest deduction, the amount you paid in interest, multiply that times your tax bracket, and that's the value of your interest deduction. Divide that by your $100,000 down payment, and now you'll have what the return on investment was from the interest deduction. Now, if you look out at insurance companies, insurance companies are the largest owner across the nation of apartment buildings. For one thing, apartment buildings require a lot of money, but two, insurance companies have a lot of money in the form of something they call float, right? And the float, if you ever hear Warren Buffett talk about why he bought Geico, the float is what they use to invest while they're waiting for the next major disaster to happen, Mm -hmm. right? So they take that money, they buy these uh, properties, and then they get on top of that, they get to deduct all of those interest payments and all the other expenses of running those um, apartments, as well as the one that we're going to talk about also, which is depreciation, And this one is the big hidden factor. Uh, This one, I think most people don't even realize it because they don't think like an insurance company, but I guarantee you it's why insurance companies buy apartments. And so um, are you familiar with the depreciation? Sorry, I don't want to keep rambling. No, no, I'm totally, I I am familiar with it. 27 and a half years, it's the building, not the land. There you but, go. But for those who don't know, mind going into yeah, why so it's I'll so jump powerful. into it. Yeah. Um, so with the what they what what you just said is exactly right. Let's take the value of that five hundred thousand dollar purchase. Let's say that eighty percent of that is the improvements of the property, and twenty percent is the land, the value in the land. And so then we would say eighty percent of that is four hundred thousand dollars. So that four hundred thousand divided by twenty seven and a half which is what the government says it would take to use up all of that money. So that would be $14,545 in depreciation that you get to take against that property. So at the end of the time, even though we call this a paper loss, if you've ever heard that term before, 
it's a loss that happens on paper, but in reality, we know that the building we're standing in right now is probably older than 27 years, yeah. um, and it's still very, very valuable and still producing quite a bit of income. And so this, you get to depreciate that property. So and I'm so curious how that works, though. Like, why, why is the building... Like, why do they let us do this? Because the, the building is increasing in value. Right. You're already getting the cash flow. And now I'm able to take a paper loss on something that's kind of happening, but not really. Like, why, why do you think they let us do that? Well, I think that that's probably a bigger question than I have the education to answer. But I would say that the gov- that's a form of the government wanting to encourage investment, mm. wanting to encourage ownership. Um, so they let you deduct the interest, and then they let you deduct and depreciate the property. And both of those can't. They both of those things cause people and companies to want to invest, right? So it gives them a reason to invest and shelter some of their money from taxes. And so I think that's why it originally started. I hope that it continues throughout yeah, my kids' too. lifetime um, with all the insane ideas and conversations around unrealized capital gains and, you know, wealth taxes and things like that. I, I hope that this always stays there. I hope the interest deduction always stays there. And I definitely hope that depreciation, depreciation is not understood, but it probably is just, is probably bigger in fact than what the interest deduction is. And so it's, it's very seldom understood with all of those things combined. What I think you're going to find is even a moderately cash flowing property in the in state of California that's just covering the expenses by, by the taxes, the insurance, the mortgage payment, just covering it by $200, $300, not very much money, that moderate property is actually probably producing close to a 35 to 40% return on investment. That initial $100,000. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I just don't know um, of another way that the average person um, – you know that we hear a lot talked about diversity and things like that. I don't know of another way to take the average person that has that doesn't have a rich family that doesn't have um, all these things passed down to them, uh, too much privilege where they grew up. You can take anybody from any walk of life and they go into real estate, they start buying a property, and they're going to make it if they continue down that path. It's not a get rich quick. It's a get rich slow, but it's a get rich program. What is it Warren Buffett says? Because you mentioned him earlier with the Geico analogy, but the number one rule of investing is... Don't really lose the money. And uh, what's not, I think number two is see, see rule number one or that something like that. That is correct. That is correct. And so that's, that's, another, that's what's so great about real estate. If you're looking to get in, like start investing in real estate or just factoring the cash on cash return, yeah. it's so safe. It is. I've, I've got a... Um, I've got a project right now that we're looking for investors on in Sacramento, North Sac. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath, $335,000. We're going to buy that. We're going to put money into it. We'll probably put $35,000 into it. We'll sell that for $415,000, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not a big home run. It's not some making $500,000 on a deal. It's just what we do. Pick up $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 on a transaction. Put that back into another property. Property up in Grass Valley. $500,000 $500,000 property, um, purchase price at five twenty-five. dollars When we finish that one, it'll have an $85,000 repair. When we finish that, it'll be at um, $725,000, right? Wow. So that one will make a little more money. It takes more investment, takes a lot more time. I've got a, a property I just bought in Applegate. Um, that is going to be a great investment for my kids, you know, and it's their way of getting a leg up, right? Yeah. Instead of going out and trying to rent one of my rentals at $2,200, I literally have a one bedroom that is going to be going for close to $2,000, right? Wow. Where? It, in Roseville. Okay. Uh, but it's just a lot of money to get out there as a first timer and you're trying to fi- start your family. I look at my kids and I'm like, man, if they don't do some real estate, how are they going to get ahead? Yep. If they're making, if you're out there making twenty, twenty five, thirty dollars an hour, it's going to be very hard to get ahead in real estate in 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 California unless you buy something ugly and make it pretty. So I was listening to a guy on on um, Instagram. I'm blanking on his name. Fairly well, fairly well known guy. But he was saying, you need to, you need to. I'm not trying try not to be offensive here, but he said, and I'm just quoting him, that poor people invest for cash flow, rich people. Wealthy people tend to look for the appreciation. So poor people will buy uh, properties in 
poor communities that are going to have stronger cash flows, but their appreciation isn't going to be as strong because it's not, it's not an up and coming. It's not a, a more desirable neighborhood. What is your take on that cash flow versus appreciation? Well, you're definitely right. I mean, if you have, uh, if we use cap rate as a proxy for value, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a higher cap rate, they work inversely with each other. So if you have a higher cap rate, you're going to usually have higher cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. And so I can go into some poorer communities and buy properties um, with an eight to a 12 cap. If I go into Roseville and buy a very nice house that people live in there in Roseville, you'll have a three or a four cap, right? So yeah. you can see the difference right there. Almost four times as much if I take on more risk. And that's what it is. It's taking on risk. If you're comfortable taking on risk, great. Um, the, the Part of the problem, what you mentioned, though, is the people with more money have more time to wait. They yeah. have the ability to to let that market take its course. Because even though I said 4% appreciation, in some years it might be no appreciation or negative appreciation. But if I've got a 10-year span, I'm probably going to have 8 or 9 or 12% appreciation. So it just depends on uh, that time frame. And being poor causes you to make decisions that you wouldn't otherwise make. I'm telling you, I've made a lot of decisions because I felt the crunch of money and being poor that no sane person would ever make, right? But you do have to watch out for cash flow when you're poor. I think that's probably one thing that investors do a little too much of is they buy a, a property without accounting for a buffer. Yep. Like um, I know a, a property manager that taught me money, that, that taught me management here, um, Chris Aurora, if a lot, a lot of you know him, uh, with rent pros, yep. great guy, but he won't even take somebody on unless they have a reserve account for their property, right? Um, now, I'm not talking the $400 that the property manager keeps. He wants them to have like three months in reserves in their bank account so that if emergencies come up on that property, they can handle it. And yeah. so I tell people, you need to not spend the money that you're making on cash flow. Let it build up, right? Build up six months in reserves or whatever cash you think you're going to need for that for that property. Treat your property like it was a job. Exactly. Treat it like it's a job and the cash flow will get you through. So the, the, the investor said, if you want to make more money, focus on the appreciation side. But in reality, you're going to need to focus on both. Because yeah. if the property is not cash flowing, you're not going to be able to hang in for the appreciation. I love it when rich people tell me that I need to focus on something other than cash flow. Because when you're poor, money is like air, right? Yeah. I mean, and you're fine until you run out and then it's the only thing you can think about, right? Correct. So I think that there is a combination of that that needs to happen. I think um, my version of that is I'll buy properties that need love, that need to be improved, that can have some sweat equity make up for maybe the difference in appreciation, mm -hmm. right? And so while appreciations might not be quite as strong as your beautiful property was, uh, then you're going to see that 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 um, the sweat equity makes a difference. Forced appreciation. Forced appreciation. However, I would say that if you look at real estate cycles, <clears throat> we've always said in in real estate that it runs up from Southern California into the Bay Area and then out to Sacramento, um, and that's how the the markets run. And I think there's a version of that true in every city. The market starts to really heat up on the outskirts right before it starts to fall again. Mm. So depending on how you time it, if you buy that property on the low in the outskirts when other people aren't really looking for properties out there, and then you wait for the next cycle, which will probably happen in seven to 12 years, you know, then you're going to see the outskirt become hot again. And when that becomes hot again, you sell the ones in the outskirt and come back and buy the solid stuff in the, in the, in the hub. And I think that's a longer term play that affects that. I remember, um, the owners of the owner of Keller Williams, um, Gary Keller, no, uh, the local one, the local Keller Williams office in Roseville. I can't think of his name for the life of me, um, but we managed his property, and he was a very smart guy, and I had a big office with four hundred agents. And the only thing he would buy is brand new construction while they were still being built, and he would rent those out. And he said, I don't have to worry about them. There's no maintenance on them. The market's going to appreciate around it while the building is going on. And that was his version of that. But he was an experienced, well-to-do investor. Got it. Got it. Well, hey, thank you so much, Barry, for sharing the five different returns on investment. Just to recap, it was cash flow, equity pay down, depreciation, what was the interest, 
Interest deduction. Interest deduction and then uh, appreciation, the big dog. And if you want to find more about that, I do have a certifiedinvestmentexpert.com. Uh, you can go there and we've got a course on that. You can take it. Uh, let me know and I'll give you a discount. And when we come back, we will be talking about how your environment can absolutely influence how much money you're making and your return on investment. Back in a sec. Guys, there's a reason why nobody sells more homes in our area than Johnny Jennings and the Tom Daves real estate team. There's a reason why they have so many five-star Google reviews. There's a reason why they get multiple offers for their clients, cash offers, why they move so quickly. And if you want to find out why, sit down, talk with him. He's a great guy, someone you can trust. Johnny Jennings, Made for More Living. You can reach out at made4living.com whether you are looking to put your home on the market or you're in the market for a new property. You want to buy a home. Maybe it's something for a family member or you want an investment property. Again, it's made the number four living.com. And of course, if you're a realtor, they'd love to have you on their team. Made the number four living.com. This is Made for More Living with Johnny Jennings, powered by EXP Realty, online at madeformoreliving.com. Earlier in the show, we were talking about the Oakland A's potentially coming to Sacramento and just what would be a better return on investment for them? Would it be better to move to Sacramento or move to Vegas? And it's so important to, p- to figure out where you're going to live. The importance of a good home, the importance of a good culture, your, your what is it, what's Tony Robbins say? Proximity is power. So, what do you think would be a better, better investing move if you were, if you own the Oakland A's, Barry? The Oakland A's are the Raiders. The A's. Well, I'm going to point to the Raiders because they're the example of another major team moving to to Vegas. Right. Yep. It's almost like having a comp next door for a house that was built the exact same model, built at the same time. I mean, this is as close as you could get in a comparison. And the Raiders' value has doubled since they moved to Vegas. The value of the Raiders' franchise completely doubled since they moved to Vegas. And it hasn't really been that much time. But maybe it could have tripled if they moved to Sacramento. We don't know. (laughs) Is there a major player that's come to Sacramento? Um, Well, for a while, we had the Niners here. Um, really? They did good here for a while. The training camp, anyway, training right? Camp. Yeah, we had the training camp for a while. So, um, and we still have one hotel left over from that. But that's about it. <laughs> anyway, so um, I think I think they should move to Sacramento. Give it a shot. You never know. Absolutely. There's I a mean, huge, huge upside here. It would here. be good for Sacramento, obviously. It would well, be good for also, Sacramento. you said something interesting. You, you talked about the culture, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. Having been to Vegas many times... I'm not sure I could ever say that the culture in Vegas is better for anyone. <laughs> um, so yeah. um, I think for the culture, for the lifestyle, people like Sacramento because it's a great place to raise your family. It's a it's a uh, it has a smooth pace of life. Um, it's close to everything. I, when you go to Vegas, close to everything isn't what I think, unless you think nope. Southwest Terminal is the the way to get everywhere. But so I mean, culture wise, I think Sacramento's got it in spades. And if they move to Sacramento, they're a big fish in a medium sized pond. They're going right. to be a huge attraction in this market. Yep. Whereas when they move to Vegas, there's a lot of competition. Correct. For right. tourist dollars. You got I don't know if you're one, a tourist. You, got, you want to go crazy. to an Oakland A's game or a, a, a Las Vegas A's game. You know. So yeah. the only thing that Vegas has more of than we do really is hotel rooms. Hey, hey, that's and okay. Girls. Mm-hmm. Well, so <laughs> I think this is this is just Johnny. Nothing to back it up, but I think. You're going to see the Raiders be a bad move in the long run. That's really? my thing. Wow. I, I firmly believe that because who? What Vegas is Vegas? Vegas is not the Raiders, right? Right. So who's going to claim them as their home team? That's Correct. a good question, right? Is it the city's population is not really very big? That's true. Who's gonna Who's gonna grow up in the next generation or the generation after that saying I'm a huge Raiders fan because I grew up in Vegas? Who went right? to the Super Bowl? You had to flip. You had to hop on a plane. Nobody, well, you had to hop on a plane and go, go it, to the Super Bowl. It wasn't like it was like the Rams Stadium where you have you, millions of people that it, can just drive over. It's true, but you've got a very large fan base in Southern California for when they were in LA, and it's not that much of a drive from Los Angeles to Vegas. Got it. But when they when they pass away, their kids didn't go to any it's games. True. That's a good point. Their kids didn't, you know, get to go experience the Raider or whatever. But you've got you know? a lot of like high rollers that come into town, and you've got these hotel folks that say, "Hey, I've got you a couple of tickets." To 
to the Raiders. I don't you know. know. I think I, I think know. Vegas is days are numbered. Against them. <laughs> I think Vegas is no. I'm betting against Vegas on this one, and here's why: because I think as gambling laws loosen up across the country, what's special about Vegas will become less special, and mm, then it's out in the middle of that's nowhere. Yeah, like it's. Anyways, I think it, I'm a firm believer. So Valerie and I, we traveled all 50 states trying to figure out where we wanted to live. And we chose the Sacramento area, so I'm clearly biased on the right, region. Right. But out of out of all 50 states, we love it here, and it, this place is a hidden gem. We think it's poised to explode. It's always going to be around. It's the capital of California, one of the largest economies in the world. And um, I, I hey, move the Oakland A's over here. I think the owners of the River Cats should uh, put you on the payroll. Let's do it. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're out the there, <laughs> yeah. But so the importance of a home, like we. The, so Valor and I, we we run it. We're, we're partnered with Tom Daves and with Brent Gove, and we we run a large real estate team, one of the largest in the area. And that happened when I started getting close to Brent Gove, like physically, like we my his office door and my office door, you could touch the two at the same time. Mike, if you were to look at a, at a graph of of my my business, it took off like a meteor, like a rocket, after I got close to Brent Gove. Because, so, because of his experience, because of his knowledge, right? Absolutely. I used to have that same office, not in the office you had it in, but in a, in a previous version. When he was at Remax Gold, my office was directly across from him. And it's the same exact thing. You learn by being close to people who are great at something that, at who are frankly, are better at it than you are. Absolutely. Right? And uh, Tom Daves, uh, his office is now, was and before we just moved into our new location, his office was right beside my office. And I could hear him. And just like I, it took me way back to when I'd started with Brent 20 years ago, um, just I heard, could hear him talking through the walls, could just learn from him. If, if you're somewhere right now where you're not, where you don't have that one person in your organization. I mean, Brent used to say it all the time is that every real estate company has great leaders. Every real yeah. estate company is awesome. Um, but if you're in one of those other companies or even an EXP and you're not in a location where you're seeing someone on a regular basis that you think is like three or four or 10 steps ahead of you, you need to change your location. You need to physically move physically move to where you're closer to that person who you can emulate that person who you could be, they could be your mentor, even if they don't even know your name yep. because you get to see what they're doing on a daily basis. Proximity uh, it's meant a lot to me over the years being, I can't even tell you what being associated with Brent has been um, to me. Um, and then there's a lot of other people like Brent, a Grant Cardone, a Tom Daves, uh, you know, uh, if you have two names, you know, you're famous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Grant Cardone, Tom Cruise, Donald uh, Trump, uh, yeah, Joe yeah. Biden. You know you're famous. But but speaking of moving the River Cat, so the Oakland A's, we're just we're just gonna call it. They're moving to Sacramento. And yep, our, they're our, moving to Sacramento. Our office just moved from <laughs> across the hall, right? But we opened up this brand new space, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today, Barry. We just talk about this new space. It's over seven thousand square feet. It's decked out, and it's designed to encourage collaboration amongst agents, so we can help our clients better. Like, can you speak to a little bit about the space and some of the thought that went in, into the design? Awesome. So. I am really blessed to have been a part of this. Uh, Brent allowed me to be a part of it, even though I don't have a huge amount of commercial experience. Um, this is a 7,714 7, square foot space. And we took it from complete cold shell, meaning concrete on the floors, nothing on the walls. Uh, and we built out the entire thing, 17 offices, uh, two huge conference rooms, a cafe, work area, um, and a big open collaboration space. And Brent's vision was to, um, you know, most offices are set up with all the, all the big wig offices along the window line. Um, and in this case, the collaboration space is along the window line. Yep. And all the offices are tucked back away from that. And so it was just a huge blessing to be a part of that. It actually came to life from the very first design I did. Um, you know, pretty much we look about 90% of what that first design was. And so I just think it came together really well. And I've been thrilled to be a part of it. And it is now open. Our grand opening is March 12th. And uh, obviously, everyone's welcome to come out to that from five to eight, I believe it is. Yep. And if you've ever been around Brent, you understand he can throw a party. And so <laughs> that's going to be a big party. But yes, it's awesome. I'm already seeing collaboration in there. Um, this weekend, Saturday, we're not even open yet. We don't even have 
all the furniture in or the walls done. And we had 35 Russian, uh, 35 Russian home buyers uh, with three Russian agents doing a Russian uh, first-time home buyer class wow. already in that in that space, and a, a Ukrainian one is coming up uh, on the seventeenth, I think. So, wow! But that's yeah. I just want so if you're looking for a spot, if you're an agent and you're looking for a spot, like hey, I want to be a part of a group, I want to be a part of a culture where I'm not just a number, I'm not just just a body in this massive organization. Swing on by if you're with EXP already. We're open. What are the hours that the office is open for? We, we say we're open from nine to five, but if you know me, you know that I'm usually there. Um, I, I love what I do, and so I'm there a lot. Um, you know, an invite goes out. Gary Meek is one of the brokers. He used to be the broker of uh, New Vision. Yep. Um, he was there this morning with a with a Monday morning mastermind uh, group that he has. He says that's open if anybody wants to come by. Um, we believe that getting together and talking about your business is vitally important. Last night I was on the phone with an agent uh, that was making offers and responses and, you know, just to be able to talk that through with somebody. So you're not out there on your own. You should call Johnny and talk to him about, you know, the team that you're, that you have there is growing and they're getting a lot of training and, yeah, I don't see how people think they're going to do it on their own. Um, to me, being part of a team and being part of a group is really like pouring gasoline on your fire, yep. right? It really does make you go faster. Um, it just, I've learned so much from being a part of groups. I was on Brent's immediate team for seven years. Wow. And people are like, well, why were you there so long? Were you a slow learner? No, there's just well, so yes. much to learn. Yes, and, <laughs> and, and the there's so much learner. to learn, yeah. <laughs> So awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing that. So that space is in Roseville. It's 915 Highland Point Drive at Suite 200. Come by and see us. If you're with EXP, we'd be happy to have you. If you're not with EXP, we are here to help all agents. Brent says it all the time. A rising tide lifts all ships. If agents are learning and growing together, then the market is improving. The, the, the industry we're in is improving together as a whole. And that's what we're looking to achieve. So thank you so much. All right, guys, don't wait. Strike while the iron's hot. If you want the maximum amount of dollars for your property, if you want multiple offers, if you want cash offers, if you want to move fast, then work with our friend Johnny Jennings and Made for More Living. It's made the number four living.com. There's a reason why he has more five star Google reviews than anyone else in our area. If you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, or if you're an agent that wants to work on a winning team make more money than work with johnny jennings reach out to him today he'd love to talk with you made the number four living.com again it's made the number four living.com this is made for more living with johnny jennings powered by exp realty online at madeformoreliving.com if you are a real estate agent this is the number one thing you need If you are hiring a real estate agent, this is the number one thing you need to make sure your real estate agent has, and it is accountability. Accountability makes all the difference in a person's business. And make no mistake, if you are a realtor, you are running a business, and if you are hiring a real estate agent, you need to make sure that that agent is running a tight ship and has a quality business. Barry, what do you you agree on the accountability thing? Oh, absolutely. I mean... um you know, in my in my world with 200 properties, obviously I have to have systems in place in order to take care of that. Yeah. And in my in raising up agents, I've been a part of teams and raising teams up. If you don't have the accountability, people think that here's what it is. They think I'm going to be a real estate agent because I want to be my own boss. But that doesn't mean you don't have a boss. Correct. It means that you signed up to be the boss and be the agent. <laughs> so you signed up for two jobs. You can't not have the first job. You have to have a boss. And if frankly, if you're like me, I have some self-control issues. And if you know me, you know that weight is one of those. Uh, but And uh, I talk out of turn sometimes as well. I've been known to offend a few people. So self-control is not a big deal. So if I have self-control issues, then I have to have someone else hold me accountable for certain yeah. things. And in real estate, I think that's really true um, for work production and things like that. The things you need to do in order to make it happen. So when it comes to accountability, like EXP has made a name for itself. EXP, for those of you who don't know, is... I think it's the largest brokerage by agent count in the Sacramento region. Probably in the Sacramento region. Uh, we're about, 
96,000 in the in the world, I think, right now. Yeah, over 96,000 yeah. agents worldwide, 20-something countries, publicly traded on the stock exchange. Like it's a it's a big corporation, and a lot of it, a lot of that growth was fueled by reducing the overhead and allowing people to work remote. But what I found when I first moved to EXP is I didn't. I don't think I lasted 30 days working remote with EXP because I realized I needed that accountability. I needed. I needed to go in and rub shoulders with other real estate agents, talk things through, have learn learn ideas. Uh, what's working in marketing? What's not working in marketing? How we're negotiating for our clients in a way that's winning versus doing what we've been doing for years and and, and it's no longer working. And so, it's kind of interesting that EXP has built built this reputation off of a virtual platform. But what I'm seeing in the marketplace is that agents are hungry and employees, like quality employees are hungry to get back into work. But that's not that's not what the news is saying. They're saying people want to work remotely. Oh, I don't know if I would agree that I think employees do want to work remotely. Um, I think that business leaders, though, are saying no more. Uh, business leaders are starting to make a comeback. Um, for one thing, we see um, San Francisco right now has had a huge exodus uh, for many different reasons. One of those was the COVID-inspired, you know, remote working, not coming to a physical office, but also just the way the city was being ran and the condition of the city. But we're now seeing a lot of tech people come back into the Bay Area, maybe not in the heart of San Francisco, but back into the Silicon Valley um, because they, the talent's here. Right. Because those people here and when they're coming back in, they're bringing them into work. They're coming here and they're bringing people back into offices. We're seeing people return to those spaces because the leaders know that you get more done as a community in a physical location. Um, the idea that people are there are probably some businesses that are more in tune to it to others. And you would think that real estate would be the easiest one to work remotely. Yeah. And it is. But it's not the easiest one to work successfully remotely. Correct. Right. So successful agents get up for the most part, most successful agents get up and surround themselves with their team and get things done. And by the way, the dichotomy between a successful agent and I'm going to put you on the spot, Johnny, how many homes are, what production level is your team running at right now? I mean, like Closings how many homes or? did you guys sell or how many sales volume yeah. for last year? That's how most agents measure that. Yeah, I think we closed out the year with 100. I think we closed out 100 sales last year. 100 transactions yeah, yeah. In, a, in an environment where most most salespeople are doing six, right? And maybe yeah. even less now. I think the numbers now are down to about four. So, so in 2023, 49%, almost half of agents didn't have a sale. Did not have a sale. Did not yeah, have and a you'll sale. see 20% of those gone as soon as it comes time to renew their license and pay their fees. So that's what I'm saying. You guys have a team. I've looked at your stuff. I've, I've been like, you're generous, and I've been like, hey, can I just borrow your stuff yeah. instead of me creating it? Because you've done such a great job with it, um, and you've always been so R &D, generous. R&D, rip off and yep. duplicate. But, but the environment you're creating and training agents in that team setting is much better than what people are getting on their own. Yep. Who's going to tell you what to do? Who's going to say, and it's not that somebody's telling you what to do. I think that has a, a wrong connotation to yeah, it. Yeah, it does. Who's going to show you what works? The Here. biggest problem with working remotely is in many cases, you can do whatever you want. And the problem with that is how do you measure what you want to do compared with what actually works? Yeah, you're right. Accountability does tend to have a negative stigma. But when, when we're bringing agents on and, and we're interviewing them, because it's, it's a two-way street. They're interviewing us right. and we're interviewing them. And what I always say is accountability on our team is love. We're not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. We're not trying to force you to do something you don't want to do. But if you said your, your production goals are X and we've crafted a custom plan specific to you to get you there... We're going to, we're going to, unless things change in your life, we're going to hold you accountable so that way you can hit those goals. So your kid can afford to go to college. So you can buy investment property. So you can take care of mom, right? There's, there's, there's the, the driving factors behind why you want to accomplish those tasks. There's some things that you're going to have to give up. You're going to have to figure out what you want to sacrifice. But at the end of the day, we're, we're holding people accountable because we care for them. And it's really, really, really hard to do accountability from, from through a phone. Right. Right. If you're if you're sitting them like toes to toes, nose to nose, and you're having an honest conversation, and it the the results just go through the roof. Imagine imagine having a coach 
who just zoomed in with you. Like you're, you're a professional athlete and your coach or your trainer just zoomed in. That's all. Right. But no, the, the ones who have the, the people who achieve at the highest levels have in-person accountability. And if you're agent, if you're an agent and you're looking for that, we're, we're here to help you with that. If you, if you are looking to hire a real estate agent, make sure that they have somebody that's, that, that they have, that they can reach out to if they have a question, because every single transaction is different. So accountability is love. We cannot overemphasize that. Oh, hold on, hold on. I got to back you up. What is that? What did you just say? Accountability is love. Oh man, that is so good. Hashtag accountability is love. I like that, man. So anyways, we, I I firmly believe, and here's the thing is that uh, I think Matt, you were talking on the break about how people are having a hard time hiring talent because the talent wants to work remote, right? Right. I think talent's going to show up. I believe yeah. I, I firmly believe if, if you are committed to your craft, committed to your profession, committed to being the best version of you, you will do whatever it takes in order to achieve those goals. And if you're saying you need three days remote a week, then you're not you're not serious. You're not about getting your craft. it because talent wants to be next door to Tom Daves and Brent Gove. Talent wants to go to where the leaders are. Talent gets in the game. They don't stay home. Yep. Mm-hmm. You show up. You show up. And you cannot show up. I, I'm I'm front I, I I will I think the whole work from remote thing. It's going to be a fun little thing that we'll all laugh about and go, that was a bad idea. And people are going to come back to the office. So that's why that's why we invested. How much did that space cost, Barry, that we that we built? Uh, it's build? a $1.4 million lease. It's a $700,000 build out. I mean, it's a major investment in a, in, from people who know how to run business, who know how to run real estate. Right? So, so what do you feel like you're going to uh, reap from that? What's the return on investment? from all of that that you're putting into it oh amazing we're going to change lives <laughs> we're yeah. going to literally literally brent's goal is to change people's lives how is that going to happen it's going to happen by getting them close to johnny it's going to happen by you know what happens when an agent walks in and has a question and has a guy that's done a thousand transactions answer that question total different outcome for that cl- for that agent for that agent and that right. client changes lives yep. we're going to change lives out of that facility and that's what we're all about here at the made for more living podcast i'm johnny thank you so much barry mathis for hopping on the show you got to come back soon oh thank you guys